I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, serving in the restorative justice ministry. With me today is Deacon Ronnie Lostavica, our pastoral care coordinator for the Diocese of Austin in the Gatesville region for restorative justice ministry, and the director of counseling for Catholic Charities, Renee Brown. And we're continuing our conversation about helping those who are incarcerated, and indeed anyone who is distanced from their children, to parent with that distance and to not give up on wanting to be a parent despite all of the logistical issues that are loaded into that. Um, We have been talking about good mental health. Uh, In this uh, episode, we'd like to talk about the grieving process, uh, anger that arises and coping in general uh, for those who are incarcerated. So let me ask you, Renee, how does grief and loss relate to life in prison? You know, it's really interesting because grief and loss is something people experience in a lot of situations, and most people limit grief and loss to the literal of meaning a person died. And so it's really interesting because when you think about people that are incarcerated, um, they are going through a grief and loss process because part of their life is gone. They are incarcerated, so... Not only, you know, is their life gone, but that family life is gone. Maybe the life that they had envisioned with their children is somewhat gone. And so in prison, you enter all, you have all of those same feelings as if it was the loss of a person because it is a loss. So people are going to experience denial. Typically, there's like five stages of grief and loss. So people experience denial. And that can look like this didn't really happen or it's somebody else's fault or for incarcerated specifically, they may feel like somehow it's the victim's fault. Um, So there's that process of going through the denial or it could just be, I can't believe this has happened to me. You know, how did I get to this place? And then there's going to be experiences of anger, anger with self, anger with others. It could be anger with God, but now they're angry, you know, this is a loss, my life, I'm doing time, my family's loss, now I'm angry about it. And that is a very normal feeling. You know, I don't like to normalize feelings, but um, it's very typical, let's just say, that people are going to experience anger. Um, Another piece of that grief and loss is bargaining. It's like, oh, well, maybe if I do this or I do this, it won't be real. Um, you know, or people may say stuff like, well, if my dad wouldn't have been around, if my dad would have been around, I wouldn't be in this situation. You know, if that drug dealer hadn't sold me drugs, I wouldn't have been using drugs. Then I wouldn't be in this situation. So it's like they're, they're kind of bargaining with their self and come up with all these plausible arguments of <clears throat> why it should have happened. People will usually experience depression, you know, the feeling of hopelessness, um, feelings of sadness, um, They may find themselves wanting to sleep all the time. Maybe they don't want to go to rec. Maybe they don't want to, you know, eat meals or engage at all. So they may be feeling that sense of hopelessness. And then at some point, usually what happens is acceptance. You know, they people do get to this point where they will accept the situation. Um, It's very interesting the um, 
bargaining part. Um, I'll always kind of encourage people that during that bargaining piece, it becomes about responsibility, right? Accepting your responsibility and what got you into a situation. It's it's your your role in it. And I think that's what helps people get to that acceptance piece quicker. There's also a piece of grief and loss that's about dreams. And this happens very often. This isn't just I'm in I'm in prison and this is a different life situation. I'm I'm away from my family, but it's also the dreams that you had. It's a grief and loss like I dreamed I was going to start my business or I dreamed that we my wife and I were going to buy a house. I dreamed that I was going to see my child play in his first T-ball game. And now you're incarcerated and all of those dreams that maybe you had had for yourself are now gone as well. And so there is a grief and loss process for those types of things too. Renee, how can we understand and manage our anger? So anger is a really interesting piece. Um, This is actually one of my favorite things to work on with um, clients. Um, I explain anger is a natural feeling. Everybody experiences anger at some point. I mean, just driving in an Austin traffic, you know, sometimes you feel like you're angry just in traffic, but um, it's a natural feeling. And so um, I want to encourage people not to necessarily push anger down. Once again, it's, we often try to push feelings away and not deal with them or acknowledge them. And anger is something that shouldn't be pushed down because it's going to build, right? The interesting thing about anger is um, we have this activity that I love to use with people in my office. So if if right now, if you're listening and you have the opportunity to grab a piece of paper and a pencil, I want you to try to draw this out because it's a pretty amazing tool. And so what you're going to do is imagine an iceberg that would kind of look like a mountain of ice. And so I want you to draw a mountain of ice. And it should be a little top heavy. I mean, a little top skinny more and then heavier on the bottom. And then what you're going to do is draw a line across your iceberg, across your mountain from left to right. Now, if you don't have any mountain iceberg at the bottom, just extend those lines a little bit on the left and on the right of your mountain. Okay. So... Everything above that line, if you will imagine an iceberg out in the ocean, that line represents water. That's the water line. Okay. So with the iceberg, there's things that we can see on, we can see the ice on the top. If you were out in a boat or on a ship, you're going to see the top of the iceberg. But like where the Titanic got in trouble is you can't see everything underneath the surface. You can't see all that ice under the surface. What this represents is anger. Okay, so anger is the thing on the top. You you could even write anger on the top piece of your iceberg. Everything under that surface line are feelings. Okay, so if you want to jot down some of these words, it could be rejection. It could be um, trapped, like feelings of being trapped. It could be sadness, hopeless. Guilt, nervous, 
trauma, regret, hurt, worried, unsure, envious, helpless, nervous, exhausted, disrespected, disappointed, uncomfortable, disgusted, distrustful, overwhelmed, shame, tricked, grief, fear, embarrassment. So all of the feelings that we wrote on the iceberg, that's all the stuff that's underneath anger. People typically just don't feel angry to feel angry. There's something underneath. There is something underneath going on, stirring inside you that comes out as anger. Anger. Typically for most people, there's also a trigger for anger. People typically just don't wake up and go, hey, I'm angry, right? There's usually a trigger for anger. It could be a reminder. You might see somebody that reminds you of a person that hurt you. It could be a smell. It could be as easy as a smell, a taste. Um, It could be something that a person says. Maybe they have a line or a quote or just something or the way that they say something that can bring out this trigger and then you feel angry. And so it's just this encouragement that if you can identify when you feel angry, try to identify that feeling, that emotion that's underneath anger. So when you're angry, you want to say, what is this about? Am I feeling overwhelmed right now? Am I frustrated? You know, maybe I'm disappointed. Once you can identify that feeling, then you can work on it. You can't work on it if you can't identify it. So if I don't realize that I'm frustrated, I can't work on that frustration. The great thing about this tool is that you can do this with your kiddos as well. We have this hanging on our refrigerator at home. Um, So my grandson is now eight. We've had it on our refrigerator for a while. (laughs) But it's a really great tool so that when he's upset or he's feeling stressed or he's feeling angry, he could go to this and he could say, Gigi, like, I'm feeling upset right now. You know, I feel hurt right now. This is an excellent tool to help you identify where your anger is coming from. And then it's a tool that you can actually use with your kids. So if you share a copy, you can mail a copy of this to your children, or you could have a loved one look it up on the Internet. All you have to do is put in anger iceberg. It will pop up, and then maybe they can print a copy. This is something you can talk to and work through with your kiddos. And like I said, too, it's about knowing the triggers. You know, if, if you feel shame, where is that shame coming from? What, and, and then it's kind of like, I know my trigger is shame, but where does that shame come from? And you can kind of work backwards. So for me, it's always like when I'm working with clients, it's getting to the root of something. So if you feel shame, where does that shame come from? 
Did your mom shame you? Did your dad shame you when you didn't do something correctly? Did your teacher shame you in front of the class? If it's rejection, did a girl reject you? Did you ask somebody out and they rejected you? Were you rejected for a job? So feelings come from incidences. These negative feelings come from experiences that we've had. And then you get triggered by something that's happening around you when you're incarcerated. And then that feeling of anger can pop back up. And how do you dissipate that once you've identified it? Sure. So I think there's a, there's several different activities that you can put in place when you're feeling angry. I think one thing is to remind yourself first that you're going to be okay. You know, because sometimes too, that feeling of when, when you're feeling anger and you're identifying all these feelings underneath, you may not feel like you're going to be okay, right? Like you're, you feel frightened. You may feel fear, fearful. So reminding yourself, hey, I'm going to be okay. So I love deep breathing. People never think it works. <laughs> um, my clients will go, Renee, that does not work. And I'm like, yes, it does. And I give them the science. Deep breathing works because typically when we're angry, we're anxious, upset, we are not getting enough oxygen to the brain, right? So if you'll take in some deep breaths, through your nose, count to like eight if you can, and then you want to take those same breaths out your mouth and do that several times, you will feel yourself calming down, and that's because you've gotten oxygen to the brain. Now, for those persons that are looking for something a little more specific because you were angry in that moment and you, you know, you don't want to act out, you don't want to be in trouble, you know, you don't want to harm another human being. One of the great things that we often teach in counseling is guided imagery. And so I love guided imagery. Um, it takes practice, right? If you guys remember from the other segment, I talked about counselors make everything sound easy, but everything is a practice. So with guided imagery, what you want to do is create that place in your mind that brings a sense of calm. It's your favorite place. Maybe it's a meadow. Maybe it's a beach. Maybe it's a river. Uh, maybe it's a mountaintop. For me, it's the beach. That's my place. So what you want to do is create a picture in your mind of your favorite place. Um, and then you want to be able to, once you get the picture, like right now, I can look above Deacon Ronnie's head at the bare wall up there, and I can create the best visual piece of the beach. I can see those waves rolling in i see the clouds you know the birds are flying in front of me those squawking seagulls and then i'm going to take it to the next level now i'm going to feel my toes in the sand you know just digging my feet into that sand and it feels really nice it feels really cool on my feet right i can hear the waves rolling in i can hear the seagulls now i want to smell it i can smell that salt water I feel the warmth of the sun on my skin. It feels so good. It feels so warm, right? Maybe there's a breeze that day. What I love is when you get that little piece of cold in that nice breeze on the beach. And slowly, you should feel yourself calming down because you are in that place that gives you peace and calm. This is a practice. So um, I actually pulled one up, and I'll kind of read you. I'll read through it for you guys. But typically, that's all you would have to do. This is about creating a clear picture in front of your eyes of what your place looks like. Then you want to use all your senses is really what you're trying to do. 
So you want to hear it. You want to see it. You want to smell it. You want to bring in all the senses to create this beautiful picture. So this one is called Your Favorite Place. So it says, today we are going to think about our favorite places. As we begin, close your eyes and take a deep breath through your nose and out through your mouth. As you slowly breathe in and out, think of your favorite place to go. It could be anywhere, inside or outside. It can be close or it could be really far away. It can be somewhere you've been a lot or it can be somewhere you've only been once. Or maybe it's a place that you dream of going. I want you to really focus on picturing it in your mind. What does it look like? What can you notice about it? Does it have certain sounds? What do you not notice about it? Is it a loud place or is it a quiet place? What are the smells there? Try to think about everything you can notice about your place. Now, focus on how this place makes you feel. Does it make you feel calm? Happy? Excited? Or something else? Really think about the feeling that this place gives you. Continue to breathe in and out slowly and focus on the feeling that the place is giving you. When you're finished and you feel like you're ready to come back, take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth and then slowly open your eyes. This can be an awesome practice um, just to get you in that calm place, um, maybe in a sense of relaxation. Um, but most importantly, it puts you in a place of thinking. One of the interesting things is, is while we were doing this, um, I was thinking about when I would have phone calls with my daughter when she was incarcerated. And it was so loud when I was talking to her. You know, sometimes I was like, what are these people doing? You know, it's so loud. And we talked a lot, she and I, about chaos and how just people being loud and people constantly talking and talking, that for some other folks, that creates a sense of chaos. And in chaos, chaos can breed anxiety, it can breed depression, and it can breed anger. And so when you have a tool like guided imagery, like what we just did, Using your anger out, uh, iceberg that we drew out, that can kind of help you with some of those chaotic feelings that you may be experiencing and get you back to that place of calm. We're talking today with Renee Brown, Director of Counseling at Catholic Charities, joined uh, by Deacon Ronnie Lostavica. I'm Father Harry Dean. And Renee, uh, you touched on the guided imagery as a way to cope with anxiety. Uh, there's obviously ways for coping with uh, depression as well. Uh, maybe respond to that. But as you do, 
another question kind of joined to that is um, I don't want to address them. I know I'm angry. Mm-hmm. I know I have triggers. Maybe I took the anger management class uh, that's offered there and a lot of the, the folks do. Um, and yet at the same time, there's just something in me that wants to say, even though I know this isn't ideal for how I should feel or how I should be interacting with other people, I've got a lot of stuff loaded onto me in this place of incarceration. And um, maybe I'm just not really ready to go ahead and and try and address this. But in as much as we're talking about better mental health for our offenders so that they can be good parents, is that one of the motivators? And are there others uh, along with how do you how do you just raw cope with the the anxiety and the depression? I, you know, I think a way to look at it is you're going to be a better parent when you have um, less anxiety, less depression. You feel more in control of your feelings. Um, it lends itself to you being able to parent your children. If you're out of control, uh, if you're experiencing anger all the time and having outbursts, you cannot effectively uh, manage your children. That's that's not possible. Our children mimic everything that we do primarily. That's how they learn. And so a, a great motivator, I, I would hope, is this is going to, if I'm working on my mental health, I'm going to be a better parent. But also you're going to be a better person so that you can keep living maybe whatever your best life can be in incarceration and upon release. If, if you're a person that's going to be able to be released, then these are the things that's going to prepare you for that tough road when you get out. And, you know, I, I think I shared with you guys a little earlier when I did my own counseling, when, when you become a counselor, they want you to do your own counseling. And I was holding on to all this baggage from, from you know, being younger and all these things that have happened to me. And it was just really interesting because what happens is, is the more that you process some of the things that you've been through, those things that make you depressed, those things that make you angry, those things that make you anxious. When you work with somebody, and right now you, you're probably going to have to do a lot of this on your own, but... When you work through all those things and can get to that place where you can let them go, they don't control you anymore. You control you. And when you control yourself, you're more powerful. I think often what happens is when people come in, and this was my experience as well, when you have, when you're feeling depressed and you're anxious and you have all these things that are hurting you, or you feel rejected and you feel overwhelmed and and maybe there's shame and all these pieces in there, you feel very powerless against all of that. Sometimes you feel powerless against the people that maybe um, were part of those situations that you now feel shame, right? The great thing is, is as you process and let these things go, they lose their power and you become more powerful, which I think is just a beautiful thing. Um, I'm I'm prone to saying um, in my office, like, I'm not going to let, you know, anxiety control me. I'm not going to let what somebody else did to me control me. I'm not going to let this control me. I want to have control of me. I want to feel like I'm the powerful person, not all this business that's going on. And in the spiritual life, obviously, that's going to be I'm going to let 
that power come from God to help me self-control as opposed to giving in to sin mm-hmm. that takes me to any number of places that take me that I'm even more out of control than I was to begin with, even though it promised me it was going to bring everything back together. And so that uh, staying grounded in God, as you mentioned earlier in our previous episode, staying grounded in prayer, staying grounded in spiritual community. That's one of the things we strive for in the units is to create a sense of spiritual community so that people don't have to feel like they're trying to go through all this on their own. Absolutely. I think, you know, it even goes back to the first segment where we talked about isolation, right? If you are in communion with God and you have that relationship, how could you ever feel isolated? Right? And he does bring that sense of power. Um, when I did my own work, um, and I think it's in another segment, we're actually going to talk about it, but I have kind of my thing that, you know, um, a four-part, five-part little thing that I did to kind of help myself when I was going through the counseling process. And one piece is the spiritual piece. Because when I felt like maybe others wouldn't understand what I had been through, God was going to understand. You know, that was my go-to for you know, when I felt bad or when I felt relieved or when I was feeling good, it's like this, I had God with me for that journey. And then I didn't feel like I was doing all of this hard work alone because he was with me through the whole thing. When you're feeling hopeless, which is a common feeling associated with depression, you don't have to be hopeless when you have God on your side. When he's living inside of you, that you don't have to feel hopeless. He is your hope. And so um, I think prayer and um, God, spirituality, that is just like the cornerstone of so many of the mental health pieces. Um, It kind of brings us into the next piece I was going to talk about. These are my no-nos. So these are my mental health counseling no-nos. And so one of the things that I always talk to clients about, there are no shoulds, coulds, or woulds. Okay. I should have done this. I could have done that. If I could go back, I would do it differently. Those things keep you lost, locked in the past. So you want to completely take that out of your vocabulary. Um, No one gets to dictate someone else's feelings. This happens a lot in couples counseling. It's really, really interesting. And it happens with parents, too. No one gets to decide what you feel. You feel what you feel. That is your truth. Nobody can dictate. So nobody can go, oh, no, you're not sad. Well, yeah, yes, I am. So nobody gets to dictate anybody else's feelings. Your feelings are valid. Your feelings are important. It's really interesting. Uh, My grandson is eight now. And a few years ago, he was talking to his other grandmother. And his uncle said, I don't understand. You're five. How can you have problems? And he goes, my feelings are valid. You know, so even at a young age, he has already learned, like, this is an important thing. Our feelings are valid. Um, Also, with children specifically, you can validate a child's feelings without validating behavior. Parents always confuse this sometimes. Well, what do you mean? Like, I'm telling him it's okay to throw the remote. No. You're going to say, if your child, for example, if your child threw the remote, you might say, I can tell that you're upset. I can tell that you're frustrated. And you can use your anger iceberg to really find out what they're feeling right. But the behavior piece, we don't throw the remote, right? So you validate the feeling 
not necessarily the behavior. Um, and also keeping secrets that hurts people. Um, you can cut toxic family members out of your life if you need to. And boundaries are critical to good mental health. I do a whole thing on boundaries with all my clients because that's critical to um, mental health. And fear can stop your growth. If you want to grow mentally and emotionally to that healthy person, be careful of fear because it can stop that. Um, perception is not necessarily reality. We have this belief that our perception is reality. No. Um, and and I, like I always say, counselors make everything sound easy when it's not. It's it's work, but it can be worth it at the end. We thank you once again for all the good uh, advice and guidance you have given us. And we look forward to our next segment, which will be uh, on trauma. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.